0: there is a bit more sort of spark and life in the industry. And I think the um, the focus on exports to markets such as China and the US by Wine Australia um, has, um, you know, driven a, a, a huge increase in exports, particularly to China. It's still a little bit nascent in the US, but I think that's, uh, starting to uh, to really lift off, um, but China is, is is such a booming market mm. that I think that has has helped everyone in the market because there isn't a big sort of overhang of unsold stock depressing prices domestically. So mm. where uh, it, it's perhaps less good for the consumer in some ways, in that uh, some of the bargain bins uh, aren't as full as they were, but for the industry overall. Um, there's a sort of a a return to profitability. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more.
1: Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone, and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers, and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today, Philip Reedman, Master of Wine, joins us. Philip is a wine educator and consultant to wineries, importers, and retailers in Australia, the UK, China, and beyond. A wine show judge and editor of... Australian Wine Showcase magazine. This is one of my favourite episodes so far, mostly from the conversation about the world of wine and partly because Phil came with a wonderful bottle of 2014 Landair Padthaway Chardonnay to share. We discuss consumer, varietal and geographic trends and how one brand might differentiate from the thousands of others. We discuss wine from the UK, South Australia, France and Portugal, There are a few tips along the way for those keen to know more about wine and thought starters for those more immersed in wine professionally and personally. We discuss where Phil's career started and his time with the likes of Tesco in the UK, as corks were being replaced with screw caps and great consumer support, and how Australian wine has dramatically improved its reputation over the decades. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show.
0: That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now. From the beginning.
1: Thanks for, for joining us today, Phil. Um, I, I'm going to start right back at the beginning. I can see you bought a bottle of wine in considering it's the end of the week when we're recording this, but, but I'm going to leave that for a little bit. So the first question we ask is, what were you like as a young boy?
0: What was it like as a young boy? Oh, oh, way, yeah, way me. back. Yeah, you yeah, way back. Um, I was, um slightly disruptive in a sort of curious um way i would uh, i would ask questions that uh, you know seemed to me relevant but weren't necessarily uh, quite what the teacher might have been thinking <laughs> um but you know I, I, I sort of you know didn't didn't get into a great amount of trouble um but, questions
1: about what? Like, what were the questions like? Sort of yeah. The, the, the um, would be teaching you this it and
0: would. why Yeah, it would, be, it would be asking some of the whys rather than just accepting the received wisdom, I think. Yeah. Um, which, you know, some teachers sort of handled well. Others were sort of less keen. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Um, but, you know, aside from that trait, which I'm not desperately necessarily proud of, I, 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 di- I did get sort of quite drilled down into subjects so I was from quite a young age I was really sort of quite excited about bird watching and I remember sort of you know taking um, bird books out of the library and sort of trying to memorize all the pictures so that I could identify them and although we didn't have a huge variety of birds in our back garden um, you know even today I can sort of see a bird and the way it flies and have a good stab at uh, its identification. Okay, wow, okay. Yeah. So I was sort of that kind of slightly obsessive with uh, <laughs> interesting yeah, yeah. Um, things. Where did yeah. you grow up? Uh, in in uh, a town called Long Eaton in the uh, East Midlands of the UK. So it's between Nottingham and Derby. Yeah, what what was it like? Um, it oh. was a pretty um, sort of suburban kind of town. Um it was a sort of a sort of light industrial town a bit of a sort of a, a dormitory town for for Nottingham and Derby um so it, it you know had a, you know mother was a teacher father ran a plumbing business you know i had a pretty uh, you know you know easy uh, easy upbringing i have to say you know very fortuitous uh, circumstances yeah. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got uh, an older brother and a younger sister, so I'm the uh, the middle one of the uh, three. And as my mother always used to say, you know, it's the the, the middle one is the independent.
1: <laughs> so. Are they based in the UK? Still? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the only one that sort of really, uh, you know, fled the country. Yeah. How old were you basis. when you left the country? Uh, when I left the UK to move to Australia, I was uh, 34.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you're a master of wine now, and you can explain what that means in a, in a bit. Yeah. Going from being that child to a master of my a master of wine. Oh, that's master of wine. A master of wine. Um, how do you? What's that path to, to get to that point?
0: Um, it it, it was a, a really sort of fortuitous uh, series of events. Um, and and working with some amazing people. Um, I had a year off between finishing school and starting university and I uh, I had a weekend job while I was at, still at school as a pot washer in a restaurant, asked the manager for a job for a year uh, expecting him to say yeah we need a, a kitchen porter and he said uh, yeah we, we we need a wine waiter and I said you know, no, that's not going to work. Don't know anything about wine. And he said, oh, no, we'll, we'll sort of teach you. How old were you? I I was 18. So I was sort of old enough to sort of serve alcohol, but I'd only really sort of drunk beer. Um, my parents, you know, as most people in the UK at that time, didn't drink a lot of wine. It was sort of half a dozen bottles a year, sort of high days and holidays. Drank sherry as they did, but, uh, that that was really it. Um, so I, uh, at, at age eighteen, got thrown into the deep end of restaurant service, knowing essentially that some wine was white, some was red, some was sort of in between the two, and some was fizzy, and that was yeah. Um, you have called a sommelier on sort of straight off? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we were called wine waiters, and I think with respect to those people who genuinely are sommeliers, and that is a separate profession and rather more elevated than what I was doing, um, I, I was a wine waiter and probably not a terribly good one. But during the first lunch service that I did as a wine waiter, I was asked a question by a customer and I had no idea and so after service that lunch I said to my uh, my boss a guy called Owen Smith who was a great inspiration to me I said Owen, I mean, you know what do I read I've got to learn about this and uh, he, he gave me a book um, which was probably sort of you know three quarters of an inch thick Twenty 20 million, the uh, modern numbers. Um, and, and you know, I, I, took it home and, um, between the end of lunch shift and going back on duty for evening service, I'd read this book. So mm. sort of, it just captivated me.
1: Yeah. You like your bird book from years
0: before. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there is, you know, the, the, the endless opportunity for studying mm. and knowing more, um, really sort of captivated me. And I, At school, I'd been really interested in geography and there's a lot of geography as, mm. as part of wine. Um, so it, it it appealed to lots of uh, different aspects of my sort of mentality.
1: Mm. It's interesting that I had lunch with a friend today and we're talking about education and how you can guide your children through to sort of whatever they might want to do in the future, but and a lot of it's about that thirst for knowledge and and, and finding something. And it's actually kind of finding a topic that kids when they're at school, I don't know, young kids or, or not so young kids, to go, I love that. And if they, they love that, they will they will yeah. dive right into it. And and that's that's how a career is sort of you, can be formed. That,
0: right? That's right. Yeah. And I, I I've sort of you know from from that lunchtime you know wine you know really has sort of obsessed me ever since and that's what drew me through to study for the formal trade exams and then ultimately to the to the master of wine Um, and the results are out today by the way for the new masters of wine so if my phone bleeps a few times, hopefully that means there's some new MWs announced today. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think your point about, you know, careers for, for uh, you know, children and them finding what they want to do, it is, you know, in in my circumstance, it was sort of, you know, serendipitous that I just ended up as a wine waiter mm-hmm. for no, no planning involved mm-hmm. and uh, there I was and here I am now.
1: That's right. So from the restaurant, did you get other jobs to do with wine? Or yeah, did, you, did you go I, to study I, and then you...
0: Yeah, well, I, I did, I, I did, uh, my, I sort of had my year uh, off and, and then went to university um, to study town and country planning. Um, but that didn't really, uh, I didn't really engage with that um, at all. Um So after after a year, I I, uh, finished that and went back to the restaurant um, again as a wine waiter and, you know, sort of kind of regrouped and and decided, yeah, I wanted to be in wine. Wasn't all that keen on the sort of the 80 plus hour working weeks that restaurant life entailed. So I got into uh, a, a retail and wholesale wine merchant's business in Nottingham. And again, struck gold with some of the people that I was working with who really mentored me and were prepared to answer all my idiot questions Mm. that, uh, you know, constantly were sort of occurring to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I worked there for nearly two years and uh, learned a great deal, did a couple of the trade exams, the Wine Spirit Education Trust exams. And then decided that this was all very interesting, but, you know, I'd not really seen the vineyard, not seen the winery. Thought I'd better go and find out how wine is made. So quit my job, went off to France and, uh, you know, travelled around France trying to find someone who would give me uh, a, a job for for a period um, so that I could learn about winemaking. And uh, after... A couple of fruitless weeks uh, asking in Champagne. I ended up in Alsace and uh, knocked on the door of Hugel's, and Hugel's gave me uh, a job for three months. Good. Okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. It just happens that 1986 was not a particularly glorious vintage, so uh, no, no evidence of my handiwork uh, still exists. Um, yeah proud to say but uh, no it was it was a great learning experience and uh an amazing company to work for yeah.
1: so you've still kind of gone through different jobs in that wine space on a retail side and obviously working for
0: yeah wine companies yeah i mean i i did um i've i've done altogether three vintages um so i did uh, the vintage in alsace and then i met some australians who were working uh, there and they said oh you know come to australia so ended up in the barossa valley in uh, january 90 uh yeah 87 and and did a vintage there and that was where i really sort of discovered and fell in love with australian yep. wine yeah. went back to the uk sort of got a job in a, a retail wine merchant again um and then somehow I I, I I met someone at a tasting and said, "Oh, can I come and do a vintage with you?" And it was a, a Portuguese producer called uh, Fonseca Gimerens, and uh, they gave me a, a vintage job, six weeks uh, in the Douro making port, mm-hmm. um, and that was just tremendous. Uh, and uh, that was the last vintage I've done, um, and uh, and and I went back to the UK and. Um, Managed to get a job with uh, a specialist importer and retailer of Australian wine. who was based in London. So I moved down to London and uh, spent nearly 10 years there um, as the business morphed from a importer and retailer to a, um, an importer, wholesaler, retailer, mail order, yeah. and online as... As it was in my was that exclusively Australian wine it was yeah. exclusively yeah which was which was sort of uncommon I mean it, we, we were sort of pioneers uh, of Australian yeah. wine at the time
1: how did you see the perception of Australian wine change over
0: that period um, or did it well it did yeah it did enormously um, when I um, left um, the UK to go to Australia um, my uh, erstwhile boss who i'd sort of gone in to see and just sort of told him what i was going to do he said to me he said I, I don't know why you're going to australia it's never going to amount to anything as a wine producer and i said well you know i i don't know but i'm going to go and see what they're up to um and that was probably on the basis of having tried sort of maybe half a dozen australian wines and met these australian winemakers so i sort of you know when you're young and stupid, it all seems a good idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that was pretty much representative of the trades' opinion in in the sort of mid '80s.
1: So, was that a general perception that good wine comes from France, or was it sort uh, of like other? Like, what, what? I think
0: other places were included, but they were all European. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it was it was uh, you know Italy and Spain and. Yeah. Portugal because of their
1: history and
0: yeah yeah and and you know I I think you know the 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 sort of centuries in many cases of trading relationship and experience and people were very familiar with um European wines um and, and I think they sort of perhaps assumed that uh you know that that was it and you know they're they're very limited at that time exposure to wines from Australia or New Zealand or even uh, the US. Um, you know, focused their view on Europe. Yeah, and that perception,
1: I, I assume, has changed dramatically now. Oh, so it...
0: y- yeah. I mean, it's it's dramatically changed. Australian wine is now um, the biggest single country category in the UK market overall. Um, And you would struggle to find a retailer who doesn't have a decent selection of Australian wine. You will still find some restaurants that um, only have a sort of a very token Mm. representation of Australian wine. Um, But maybe that's because they're sort of... um, you know Italian restaurants, and they've got a sort of a, a strong um, food and wine theme mm. relating to that. But most uh, most most places would uh, have have some Australian wines, and the perception is very positive.
1: Yeah, and 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 what, so what, what? So compared to a, a a French wine, what's an Australian wine perceived as? Uh? Um, I know many, many years ago, the perception was it was. I guess uh, we did little bits of work for Wine Australia, and that perception of Australia has good wine at different levels, but but by and large has good wine at a, a lower price point. But what, I assume that sort of perception has gone for good wine at, at higher price points too.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's quite nuanced, and it depends who you're who you're talking to and their level of involvement with with wine. Um, so, I think if we're talking about the trade and um, then the trade uh, as, as they should be are generally more informed and will understand the, the the sort of tiers of quality of Australian wine from you know the, the very top wines. Um, you know I think for instance, Hugh Johnson, who's sort of you know, the sort of uh, the, the, you know one of the principal wine writers in the uk he was the first international uh media person to recognize and understand the quality of penfold's grain mm. um so you know the trade and the the media understand very well that sort of that tearing um from from top to bottom um you know the 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 general consumer um would be well aware of australia and they would probably have um a, you know a range of uh, of brands that they're familiar with and would pick off the supermarket shelf um and then through that sort of higher involvement group of sort of you know more you know more serious uh, involved wine drinkers they would sort of know those smaller brands perhaps know mm. some regional designation so the barossa valley would be you know a, a region that they would know um they might know the hunter valley um they might know margaret river so there's you know we've had barely a generation's worth of exposure to australian wine in the uk so we're still sort of plowing that furrow of getting people to know the the regional depth and uh, distinctiveness but but that will that will come in time yeah it's good
1: we're obviously both based in Adelaide South Australia and my understanding is South Australia produces the vast majority or a large proportion of premium wine in Australia is that
0: um, yeah, I, I, I think I think in, in, in terms of total production uh, of of grapes, um, South Australia is something like fifty five ish percent of the of the total volume of Australia. Um, and then if you look at the regions that we've we've got here, we have got some of the sort of the larger scale premium regions, so the Barossa Valley, Clare Valley, Coonawarra. That whole limestone coast area, including Pathway, um, Langhorn Creek, Adelaide Hills, so we've got a lot of um, areas of, of real premium quality and distinctiveness, and including I should say um, the the riverland of South Australia, which does produce a huge volume of uh, you know classic everyday drinking varietal wine, but is also producing some really exciting premium yep. top end stuff now.
1: So that awareness of those regions in a place like UK, and we can talk, as we go through the discussion, we can, we can talk about other regions, other, other countries as well. But so in the UK, there's an understanding of the Kunawarra and the Barossa.
0: Um, there's certainly a, a, you know, sort of the Barossa would be a, a, a name that many people would be aware of. Um, sadly, Kunawarra, I think, is, is probably not on the, mm. uh, the radar of the majority of wine drinkers. Um, I mean, I, I think if you probably sort of showed them the word, they would probably, you know, a number of them would probably say, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's wine, that's, mm. you know, probably some of them even sort of get to Cabernet Sauvignon. But Australia really isn't being sort of picked on or discriminated against in that lack of recognition. Um, you know, the, it, it, it's a it's a problem that all wine regions around the world struggle with mm. in in export markets. So, um, you know, it's it's, it's a very long term strategy to um, develop awareness of that. Yeah.
1: And is that so is it promoting? The, so that sort of promoting the region as well as the different um, wine brands promoting their own wine brand. That-
0: yeah, I think I I, I think um, you you know as a, as a, I'm I'm not a brand owner, but if I were a brand owner in a region that was um, of of some note and recognition and distinctiveness, I, I would be adopting that two-tier strategy of being involved in those sort of regional generic promotions to promote say the Barossa Valley, but I'd also be you know, um, driving. You know, Reedman's Red as mm. uh, you know my brand yeah. to to really um, c- cement my brand, but you know, helping to develop the traction of the region because I think that that sort of mass awareness um, makes the pie bigger. So you you are going to grow your sales on that.
1: Mm. It sounds like a lot of the the, the wine, the the, the um, wine makers and. And, and wine brand owners that I know of or have dealt with over the years, it sounds like a very much of a, well, it's a bit more complicated than this, but a pioneer, pioneering spirit of some of them will talk about almost grabbing a suitcase of wine and, and heading off to China or the US or UK. And is that sort of in, maybe not so much now, but sort of oh, maybe it still happens. So whether it's just heading off a lot of travel overseas to introduce their wine. Yeah,
0: I, I, it, it is. And um, a, a few years ago, I, I, um, I, I said at a, a lunch event, uh, the, the Adelaide Wine Show, that you know, export today isn't any more difficult than it was twenty-five years ago when Australia sort of first broke into the UK in a big way. It's just as hard. It's just different hard. So um, in in the UK, obviously, there's. Very little language barrier between most Australians and most Brits. Um, we, we sort of talk an almost common language. Um, but you go to China. Um, you know, th- there, there is a, a, a language barrier, even though many of the people you're dealing with do speak English much better than we speak Mandarin. Um, so there, there is that difficulty, but you have got to get out there and do do the yards wear out some shoe leather and taste wines with a lot of people Mm. and um, get people to to drink your wine and have that time to sit down with them and talk to them and explain your wine and um, it it is a a long long long-term process Mm.
1: Um and what the, it's a simple question. I'm sure the answer is much more compli- complex than the, than the question. Is wine consumption going up or going down, or is it pretty static?
0: Um, yeah, it's a complex question. Uh, <laughs> um, look, in, 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 in the sort of um, European countries, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, which have historically had pretty epic uh consumption levels i remember the first time i went to burgundy i, I was staying in a uh a small rest a small hotel and the restaurant downstairs had breakfast and at eight o'clock in the morning a a, a local came in and asked for a, a gros rouge and you know it was a tumbler full of red wine at eight o'clock in the morning and it was like whoa uh <laughs> I, I, but that wasn't unusual and um, Today, it is unusual that um, someone uh, in in France would drink wine sort of as a sharpener at breakfast time. Um, so the consumption in those markets has, has declined rapidly. Um, on the flip side, you know, um, a, a, a country like China has, you know, Gone off the graph in terms of how much wine they are um, starting to drink. So um, I, th- I think probably compared with 20 years ago, it, it's probably um, about the same level um, of, of total global consumption, but the distribution of that has has changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm I, I,
1: understanding is in let's in, say in in a, in a, a Chinese context, wine isn't sort of part of their Culture, it's not necessarily part of the. Culture. Is it? It's a severely it big cultural shift to be drinking wine, or is it?
0: Yes, okay. it, you're 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 right. Um, wine, grape wine, isn't part of their yeah. culture. Um, alcohol certainly is, and uh, rice wine, yeah, okay. uh, which is essentially a, a spirit, uh, white uh, coloured spirit, is is uh, you know very much part of their culture. So. Um, Wine drinking was um, uh, promoted to the Chinese by their leadership, and red wine, particularly um, for for its um, purported health benefits, um, and it also meant that uh, China wasn't using as much of its rice crop mm. to distill; they were using it for food. So, um, red wine uh, is is the uh, the, the the preferred uh, style of wine in China. Mm. Um, The French very uh, cleverly um, were very early movers into China to sell them wine and, you know, had a 15, 20-year head start on Mm -hmm. pretty much the rest of the world. So the Chinese um, understand um, particularly Bordeaux, which is, you know, the the big region of, of France for, for fine red wine production. So the the, the Chinese get that. Um, it, it's, some of the wines are quite confronting in, in their tannin structure and their general style, whereas the, the Australian style is a little bit softer perhaps, mm. a little bit more generous, and I think that's one of the reasons that Australian wine is making big inroads now that... Mm. Uh, more and more people in China um, are choosing to drink red wine, they're, they're enjoying the, the the style that Australia innately produces. Yeah,
1: okay. There was um, a story in the paper a few, well, probably a month or so ago, locally, about a, uh, a guy from China who won a large amount of money, I think we might have been in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, at the local casino and headed off to Penfolds to... To buy as much Penfolds wine as he possibly could, <laughs> and and the red label was seen as being very was a good um, strike of uh, struck strike, uh, strike of luck for Penfolds to pick the right colour. It sort of had lots of symbolism about their their brand and.
0: Yes, I I, I think um, you know the the, the the colour scheme that uh, someone chose for Penfolds all those years ago has turned out to be very, uh, far sighted thinking. Yeah. Um, and you know that's not to uh negate what uh, penfold's Treasury wine estates has done because they have i I believe they've managed their business in China extremely well to manage mm-hmm. that brand to uh, keep it highly desirable to innovate and produce um Novel products yeah. of exceptional quality that the Chinese market will respond to. Yeah. So um, they 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 had a they had a good start, but they have uh, capitalised on it yeah. extremely well. And uh, I think that's great credit. Could have yeah. been messed up.
1: Yeah. And obviously, it comes back to the history and the, and the and the quality of a, of a product like that. But what, so, what is what has Penfolds done to um, to to maintain that prestige in that local market? Obviously they've identified that as being a key market they need to maintain that prestige, but
0: Yeah. Um I I think they've they've um they've managed the brand well by um you know, they, they have got that tiering structure from um Canunga Hill through the sort of the bin twenty eight and so on and through seven oh seven and then to Um, Penfolds Grange. So I think having that structure helps because that gives you access to um, different sections of the market. Um, Not everyone can afford Penfolds Grange, but um, if you can't afford that, but you've got Canunga Hill or in 389 on your table, you've got some of that Penfolds magic rubbing off on you. So... Mm i think they've um they keep the entry price respectable yeah, but okay. attainable and then sort of drive the top price mm. you know uh, um, as as far as is possible which you know creates that sort of kind of the more expensive it is the more desirable it is effect mm. which i think in um china is um you know, there there is some sort of conspicuous consumption still, and 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 those very expensive esoteric wines um, become very desirable. Yeah,
1: do you see wine, uh, other wine brands, locally or globally, that you, uh, are being quite clever, or for want of a better term, they could be innovative. They could be obviously their quality product is one thing, but you can sort of see that they're doing great things. Maybe a small wine brand that's doing amazing things outside of Australia?
0: Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's quite a number of, of things um, going on. Um, and, and, you know, with the disclaimer that i am done some work for them, Gusbourne Estate Wine um, from England. Yeah. So sparkling wine from kent in in southern england so what's what's happened there really I, I think is that you know climate change has made the south of england or parts of the south of england uh, ideal climate for growing sparkling wine so it's right on that cusp of it's just warm enough for to, uh, to ripen the grapes to the point where you can make really high-quality sparkling wine by the traditional mm. method, the same as they do in Champagne. And so um, in, in 2004, um, uh, uh, an individual with a fair bit of uh, capital behind him decided that uh, he was going to plant a vineyard of 60 uh, acres of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier, the three Champagne grapes, and... Um, set out to make great quality sparkling wine. And, uh, he, you know, Gusbourne isn't the only one. There are plenty of other English sparkling wine producers. But I think that response to uh, opportunity, by sort of having that strategic, really a 30-year vision of saying, right, this is, you know, if we plant this vineyard, you know, we are going to, you know, in 10 years' time have the first... Cuvée for sale, Mm. and uh, you know, twenty years beyond that, we'll we'll have really sort of got the the hang of it. And I think um, the 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 current releases are sort of you know two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and fifteen vintage, and you know, English sparkling wine is a thing, and it is quite amazing. I was showing these Gosbourne Estate cuvées around the trade in Melbourne last month. And um most of the sommeliers in the sort of top restaurants where we were showing them um, were 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 frenchmen, and I thought this is going to be a difficult sell um, but they were they were already aware of um, English sparkling wine, mm. um, but when they tasted the wines, they were just generally blown away by the quality so um English sparkling wine is a happening thing in the uh, yeah, okay. the Melbourne um, market,
1: and is that a something you might have been introduced to it, sort of realizing the is strong and
0: it's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's it. I think it's um, uh, it's 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 presenting it in the right way to them, and um, you know, saying that this is this is an alternative to other premium sparkling wines. Mm. Um, it's not an imitation of it's different, um, but, uh, you know, it's the, the quality stacks up, and uh, they seem to be agreeing by the number of listings we've got in some yeah, that's great. fantastic uh, restaurants that we generally can't afford to go and eat at. <laughs> so, <laughs> you bought a bottle
1: of wine in. so I, no, did. No, I don't want to be sort of um, presumptuous, but it might be
0: nice. Oh, to shall, I, uh, shall I broach it? So okay. That's the marvellous sound of the screw cap opening. <laughs> no pop. No pop. No, no, this is... Uh, this is. Uh, what are we drinking? Well, this is a Chardonnay, which I thought... Um, I, Chardonnay, I, I think he's probably coming back from... It's from the days of sort of ABC of anything but Chardonnay, um, which I, th- I think was sort of probably a bit overhyped. Um, but we perhaps did get a bit... Overdone with um, extravagantly oaked, extravagantly um, intensely malolactic flavored Mm. Chardonnays. Um, Chardonnay as a grape variety really works well in cool climates. So um, we've got plenty of those in South Australia, as you know. And I think if you sort of aim to make a delicate, sophisticated wine, you can make that, and this this wine has been in in barrel. It was barrel fermented, um, but it's um, it's the Landair Pathway two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. So, um, it's it's just a wine with real poise to me. Mm. So cheers.
1: Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Here's so, Friday evening. That's it <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so if you're listening to this at breakfast time. Um don't yeah, maybe sort of wait oh. until the evening. Yeah. 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 So, so a question. And it seems like a really basic question, but in terms, so you used to go to a restaurant, pop open the cork, you'd sort of have a bit of a taste, and and that I'm sure that was sort of to make make sure it wasn't corked. Yeah. Nowadays, that's right. when you're at a restaurant and they kind of twist open the top, is a point. Is it still worthwhile tasting the wine? I sort of tend uh. to not, but.
0: Yeah, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's a bit. I think there is a bit of sort of muscle memory of uh, you know have have taken the top off and mm. pour a tasting sample for the guest. Um, I, I, you know, I think generally, um, it is worth tasting the wine. Mm. Things still can go wrong with in terms of storage, yeah. yeah. Um, it's much much rarer with a screw cap than it was with a cork. Um, But things can still go wrong, as you say, with storage, or you can get some sort of mechanical damage to the screw cap, which means it lets a bit of air in. Mm. It's very rare, but, yeah, I think it's just sort of, you know, it's part of the ritual. It's (laughs) it's, it's (laughs) um, it's, It's that unboxing thing. You know, come on, we've come to a restaurant, someone's pouring the wine for us, do uh, her or him the uh, the favour of mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, continuing the ritual. Yeah. So um, it's it's not uh, not not needed uh, nearly as much as yeah. it was. But uh,
1: you know, you don't find corks in too many bottles of wine nowadays. Obviously, in some sparkling, you do.
0: Yeah, sparkling or often and- sparkling is sort of pretty much the uh, the the last frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to fall, um, screw caps, and it's globally, but... no, it, it's no, no. That's a, it's a good good point, Jason. Um, it's it's it, it is specific local areas that have uh, an affinity with screw caps. So the UK uh, is is uh, very happy with screw caps. Um, Scandinavian markets very happy with screw caps. Um, the USA, much less happy with screw caps. So if you went to the pers- Napa Valley, you went, went yeah. wine tasting, you'd find You'd corks. find a lot of corks. Yeah. Um, it, it varies. Um, they are persuadable. They are open to the discussion. Um, but corks are probably the majority. Um, China... Again, with that sort of French um, long lead time, um, th- they prefer cork. Mm. But uh, on my last trip to Shanghai, and Shanghai is not really entirely representative of China because it's such a, a a sort of a cosmopolitan place and the focus of so much attention. Um, you know, I, I, I did find that uh, in in Shanghai. Uh, the, there was much less resistance to screw caps and
1: is that if they can overcome the the cork not being there and the ritual of the cork not being there and the quality of the wine is strong then they 're okay with
0: that? yeah, right? and I think if you um, if, if you, you you need that chance to explain to them why it 's got a screw cap and why it hasn 't got a cork um, and I think once you can sort of explain that to them then um, they they start to uh, sort of get the story, get the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was,
1: I was surprised when corks sort of started disappearing. I, I, how long ago was that? Gee, 20 well, years it was, ago, it wasn't was, it really? It, yeah. was,
0: it really started around 2000. Yeah. I'm um, glad I
1: didn't put money on it. I was thinking that, that'll never happen and they will never get out of the wine. The wine won't want it happening and, and, and the consumer will be kind of nervous about it and we didn't ever do any yeah. work on it. And, but, uh,
0: no, I, I was um, working at uh, Tesco... Um, when we introduced screw caps in two thousand and two in a big way, and uh, it it was a it was, it was a decision that we had made as a business because we knew from our internal tastings and tesco's the biggest wine retailer it was probably the biggest wine retailer in the world at that stage. We knew from our internal tastings that um, there was a failure rate on corks of approaching Ah, 5%, um, either cork taint or or oxidation. Um, So we knew there was a serious problem. Um, We knew also that the number of bottles that were returned to store by customers was nothing like 5%. So we knew that a lot of customers were drinking wine that was faulty Mm. and... um, And didn't want to admit it? Well, no, I I don't think they... I I think possibly they didn't recognise the fault. Sometimes it was quite a low-level taint and you don't recognise it. And I think talking to people um, who, who, you know, talking to friends and family who are sort of less involved, you know, they'd say, oh, yeah, I had a bottle of it. It wasn't very good. I think they've sort of changed the blend. And no, they 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 hadn't changed the blend. It was that it was the bottle you had was tainted.
1: So, what and are you looking for? Do you know, if it is the, the, or... the
0: real cork taint, tell is a real um, mustiness. It's sort of like wet cardboard fungus. It's 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 a quite an unpleasant aroma, um, and on the palate, it it uh, it sort of stops the flavor very short you get a a, a, the fruit flavor of the wine to begin with and then it just drops off dead um so it's that's the sort of the extreme end of it other times it just mutes the flavors and that's the dangerous area that's where people sort of think you know i used to like brand x but I've had that bottle, they've changed the mm. blend. I don't like it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to buy someone else's. So that's quite dangerous from a brand building perspective because you've sort of invest all the money and then you're tripped up at the final hurdle by a 50 cent piece of cork bark. Mm. So um, we, we knew that we could, you know, we, we knew the numbers of how much wine came back. So we made the decision to uh, try screw cap, and we tried it on a number of our own brands, but a number of the uh, key brands, and Australian winers were, on the whole, incredibly supportive. Um And we, Tesco launched it with the message that we're doing this because it ensures that you get the quality of wine that the winemaker intended you to have. Yeah, okay. Two weeks into the campaign and the wines were flying off the shelf, we weren't getting any resistance. We'd had tremendous support from most of the UK wine press. Um, Feedback from the customers was this is fantastic, we don't have to rummage around in the kitchen drawer and find the corkscrew <laughs> and then I don't have to wrestle this thing out of the bottle and then if I don't finish the bottle, I can, I can, can just the on. put yeah. the lid on and put it back in the fridge and hey presto yeah, yeah. so we pulped all the, uh, the, the posters saying this is all great quality and changed the message to this is great convenience and I think that's what customers, you know, value about it. And I, I think the wine industry is sort of too often focused on, as as I did there, you know, focused on the sort of the the, the wrong end of the problem, mm-hmm. you know.
1: That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so sometimes we, we overcomplicate what the problem actually is and wine sometimes is I just want a drink of wine to maybe... Yeah. Get a little bit of a <laughs> yeah. buzz, and as long yeah. as it's not too revolting, I'll yeah. be okay with that. that, that that's exact it. It's that quaffing uh, of it rather than actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that's one of there's a Again, one of my sort of. Um, kind of hobby horse areas, if you like, um, is you know this thing about education and wine mm. and involvement and in wine. Um, I. I Drive quite a few kilometers each year I can't really explain to you how my car works and even if you told me how my car works I wouldn't enjoy driving it anymore and I certainly wouldn't go out and buy another one mm. just because I now understand the uh, uh, the uh, the mechanics of a synchromesh gearbox and so forth um, That's the one car phrase I know. Um, (laughs) And with wine, we often take the approach that the customer needs to, to enjoy the wine more. They've got to understand how it was made. And we talk about the soil it was grown in, the climate it was grown in, you know, and all that sort of nonsense. What we need to do is give the customer a great drinking experience every time and screw Cap's part of that.
1: Irrespective of the price. Irrespective
0: of the price. It's got to be a great drink. It's got to deliver every time. And the other thing is they've got to get some sort of emotional benefit from it, from some story, some enjoyment. And I don't think, you know, telling them that uh, this wine was grown on, you know, a limestone terroir with... Um, you know, free-draining gravel soil and, you know, all this sort of nonsense. And before anyone picks me up on that, yeah, that is two different sorts of soil, and I know that, but, you know, bear with me. Um, We're we're going way off piece from what the consumer wants to know. We need to create involvement, not force-feed them education. Mm -hmm. I want the education about the wine. But um, I am that sort of oddity that mm. sort of you know memorizes pictures of mm. bird books and the flight patterns of woodpeckers. <laughs> so you know it's uh, you know I'm the outlier. Yeah, yeah.
1: So when you go, I'm thinking of our local bottle shop. And I'm not going to say the brand, but there's a you walk in the door and there's one area to to my left, and geez, I'm sort of thinking it's probably. I know eight, nine rows of wine, and that's meant to be the premium section. And over to the right, uh, there's a, another section that's meant to be the non premium, and a lot of the wine's actually about the same price, but, mm. um, and that's the, the non premium section. And actually, that'd, that'd be about 10 or 12 different, uh, rows of wine sort of separated into different regions. And in, in between those two different areas, which is a, I don't know, 10 or, Fifteen minute meter walk between them. Um, there's probably a whole lot of other wines on shelves to um, sort of just to, to get get attention as I go through. And there's a, there's some fridges of wine. There's some um, there's maybe a little bit of a spirit area and there's a little bit of a beer area. But there's wine everywhere. Yeah. How, how do <laughs> it, it's it's such a unique category. And then there's wines online I could buy and I can. How, how do you, how do you how do the It sounds like just a bugger of a business to be in to try to differentiate your brand to get somebody to pick up a bottle and. Do you have any sense of sort of like either how, how people pick a wine or what the wine companies are doing to let their brands or, or wine stand out?
0: Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it is truly a nightmare um, <laughs> going into one of those big box stores and I find it overwhelming and, you know, I've spent 30 odd years working in the wine industry so I should know uh, what I'm sort of looking at and what I'm looking for. Um, so I, I think we are sort of overwhelming with choice. And an analogy I've drawn with with wine is with um, the, the book publishing industry. Um, the uh, The much lamented Mary Martin bookstore in Adelaide um, was a place where I bought books that I didn't know I wanted because they had edited down from everything that was published in Australia to a few hundred titles, and then they displayed them and they were recommending them. Mm. I, you know, I never went in there and didn't buy something, and it was invariably something other than that I had expected to buy or gone in to buy. Mm. Because they had done a lot of that filtering, um, I think with wine, um, you you need that filter. Um, you know, staff in some of the bottle shops are fantastic and do know stuff and can help you. I think increasingly we've got to rely on the the sort of the various apps mm. uh, that we we carry around with us. Um, but I think most people have a, a fairly small repertoire of of brands. So they will know a few brand names. They will know um, Barossa Shiraz. They will know um, Marlborough Sauvignon. They will know Pinot Grigio, no. and regard Pinot Grigio very often as just a brand. And it will be you know whichever is on the sort of cut case stack in front of them at the right price, and they'll they'll buy that and. Um, you know, who can blame them because otherwise you could spend a day um, wandering around and just getting more confused. Mm. So I think wine companies, uh, you know, do need to uh, work very hard to get their brand name out there consistently. Is that um, marketing or is that I think, sort of I,
1: getting, having reviews and winning awards or?
0: I, I think... It, it's it's the 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 whole gamut of things yeah. um, it, it is marketing in its totality so it it, it is you know having a seller door it is getting those awards from from wine shows um, and, and wine shows in whichever market you're you're In so, if you are in China, getting recognition from a Chinese wine show is um, important. Um, Getting recognition from an Australian capital city wine show or a regional wine show is important. Um, Getting recognition from, um, you know, the the, the Holiday Wine Guide is incredibly important. Mm. Um, You know, there, there are there are. Uh, retail buyers around the world who sort of use that as the sort of the uh, the, the, the sort of top line filter for thinking about their Australian portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people in China who who, who, who also use it. Um, so getting that, and then getting a consistent message out, and you know, and I think this is where we are incredibly fortunate as an industry in that we've got social media these days, so you can do it pretty inexpensively. Arguably not enough wineries are doing it as well as they might. Um, but uh, it, it, it is a, I think that is a great channel to engage with people so that you, you are talking with them rather than to them. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, we, you see large wine companies sponsoring sporting events, and I, uh, I think that is a uh, you know a good way of just raising that brand awareness. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a long term strategy and one that only the sort of largest companies can yeah, afford. That's right.
1: Yeah, I'm assuming it's sort of from piece of work we've done, but just sort of it that it's there's a level of it's brand. It's I like that variety, or at least feel comfortable with that variety. It's probably to be really on honest, it's it's the price point that that sounds about right and there has got a nice little sticker there that says um, this one's discounted from whatever dollars down to blah, blah dollars and sounds mm. like you're getting a good bargain. Um, so it's knowing how to almost se- separate those out. Do you, do you see sort of varieties that are, are growing in demand and others that are shrinking away like sort of, I don't know? Percep- and then and perceptions really. Are. So you here are you hear perceptions of people aren't drinking that anymore. They're, they're, they're drinking that, and or the or pe- yeah. sense of our people drinking more experimental wines, and it's more of that experience and and learning. Or
0: yeah, I I think um, wine is essentially a fashion business. Um, we are as a, an industry sort of rather hampered by the fact that we've got very long lead times. You know, you plan to a vineyard and you, you've got to wait three years before you get your first crop and then probably at least another year before you've got any wine. So that's sort of bare minimum of four years. Um, so it's, it's quite hard to respond to trends. I think you, you know, okay. you've yeah, got okay. to, you've effectively got to be either driving, creating the trend yourself. Um, with a lot
1: with, with, with a long horizon with right? a very yeah. long horizon yeah well, talking about three years, five oh, years. That right? yeah.
0: really at least five years yeah okay and and then you you know if it doesn't work you 're stuck with a a vineyard that right what do we do with this now because we 've invested in it for three years we 've now made some wine, you know so it, it's it, you there aren 't many businesses that can really take such a a a long-term view there are a few fortunately so there's a a, a business um in the riverland called ricketerra farms and um holly and and ashley there have um taken the view that uh, with with uh, climate change with water shortages um we've got to be doing something different than growing the standard varieties there so they've planted some of the sort of alternative grape varieties um like one? The, well grape varieties like um vermentino from uh, the south of france is a very mm. heat tolerant variety um they've planted um nero d'Avola, um a, a southern italian red variety so those varieties respond well to the climate um Use less water than, say, Cabernet or Merlot or Shiraz, on the whole, um, and um, they've carved out for themselves a really fantastic niche as a grower, and now they're starting to make and sell their their own wines, um, but they've carved out this niche business of being um, the the growers, the contract growers of really good, interesting, grape varieties. Mm. So they're sort of, you know, they're not changing the world yet, but they're showing a pathway that maybe someone yeah. will say, actually, you know, that variety is now proven in in our region. We could go out and plant, you know, a hundred hectares, and that will produce a sort of a decent amount of wine that we can go and yeah. conquer the world with. Yeah.
1: So the larger wine companies often won't move into those more niche varieties unless they're proven
0: well i think with with you know public company ownership of some of our larger wine companies it is very difficult for them to sort of take those uh, bigger risks of um so i I i think they tend not to lead in that sort of innovation they do different innovation but that sort of Planting of whole new vineyards is, you know, less common. Yeah.
1: The business is so much; is far more complex. It, it the, is, yeah. They've already got markets for a certain wine.
0: Yeah, market. yeah. So yeah. they tend to sort of perhaps be second into that sort of innovation, yeah, okay. um, and the smaller players pioneer it. Yeah, okay. That's but that's good because it does supply. It does yeah. allow. Um, you know that uh, that fragmented structure of the industry does allow small players to sort of create their own niches. Mm. Yeah,
1: very entrepreneurial, and then so there's still that opportunity for small wine companies to um, to emerge and do good things. It's not it's not a it's not not a a category that you can only survive and 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 thrive if you're a big brand.
0: No, I think the, the it it's it's tricky and I, I you know my my hands are up i haven't uh, you know invested <laughs> into a up. into a vineyard or a wine company um and and nor do i intend to um but i th- i think the wisdom is that you either need to be you know small and niche and premium or you need to be very large yeah, um the sort of the middle ground is where it becomes a bit the sort of the valley of death because yeah. you you're being you know you've got a lot of wine to sell but you've perhaps not got the scale economies that the really big guys have got yeah. so you're being squeezed um, and uh, your margins sort of suffer and the capital intensity of it is enormous yeah okay
1: i had a conversation recently around the, the concept of uh, uh, varietals so mix, mixed blends uh, of different different wines it is Is that a consumer still buying?
0: Yeah, yeah. It 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 varies. Yeah, Um, I think the the Australian consumer and the UK consumer um, are uh, perhaps a little different to uh, the US consumer. I mean, this is sort of broad brush stuff. So, um, but you know the Consumer here in Australia and the UK are are pretty prepared to try blends, um, whereas in in perhaps the US they're, they're more comfortable with varietally labelled wines. Um, but again, you know that's that's changing, and it, it, if you get the chance to sort of explain to someone, um, one of the companies I consult to does a Pinot Noir Shiraz, for instance, mm-hmm. which is. Just ostensibly wrong, um, <laughs> although it has it has uh, a, a, a significant heritage in in Australian wine history. So, um, and when you say to people, you know, try this Pinot Noir Shiraz, they sort of almost recoil in shock, <laughs> and then when you explain it to them, and when they get to taste it, um, they're invariably delighted and surprised um and then want to know where to buy it so uh you know that that's a a really exciting um blend the the sort of the the more classic the the blend the red blend that australia owns which is shiraz cabernet um you know is you know a a great blend Mm -hmm. um and uh you know, it, it, it works really well. It, it, that really is adding two and two and getting five. So there's definitely that synergy there. Mm, that's
1: good. My understanding is the domestic market went through a little bit of a um, a challenging few years and conversations I have that things are on the up over the last year or so. Is that is that what you're seeing or is it still, still bloody hard work and it's still challenging and... Some businesses have dropped away. We, I think it must have been, geez, it could have even been fifteen years ago doing some work for the likes of Wine Australia, and there was a long tail of of small wine companies, and a lot of them were were, were potentially struggling, but a lot of them seem to be able to hold on and and, mm. and survive. And um, last few years, it's, it has been. I understand it's been been challenging, but then the conversations I have that it feels like things are improving or have improved.
0: Or yeah, I, I I think. Um i'm seeing more confidence more vibrancy in the industry um over the last probably the last two maybe three years um i th- i think we 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 do have um you know probably 1400 ish wineries in in australia and uh probably a dozen of those are you know in the seriously large scale and and there is an enormous Tail mm-hmm. of, of um, you know, boutique wineries, um, some of whom will grow, some of whom are happy to sort of maintain at that uh, sort of smaller scale. And um, there have been some tax changes of late regarding uh, around the wet uh, tax, um, which is a tax I don't pretend to understand, but um, that has, um, th- that wet tax rebate that wineries can get on domestic sales has helped um, their uh, their cash flow um, and, and their profitability. So, um, we, you know, there is a bit more sort of spark and life in the industry. And I think the, um, the, Focus on exports to markets such as China and the US by wine Australia um, has, um, you know, driven a, a, a huge increase in exports, particularly to China. It's still a little bit nascent in the US, but I think that's uh, starting to uh, to really lift off. Um, but China is, is is such a booming market mm. that I think that has has helped. Everyone in the market, because there isn't a big sort of overhang of unsold stock depressing prices domestically, so mm. where uh, it, it's perhaps less good for the consumer in some ways in that uh, some of the bargain bins uh, aren't as full as they were, but for the industry overall um, there's a there's sort of a, a return to profitability yeah
1: okay, so for those more those smaller wine um, businesses. Looking at those global markets, sort of finding a niche, building their brand, um, been obviously good quality product, been able to educate. Mm. All of those parts are kind of key to to building their business and surviving. And
0: yeah, yeah, it's it is a it is a multifactorial thing, and I think you, you you the the baseline is 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 that quality. Um, you know, without quality wine you're you're not gonna get anywhere. Um uh, but having that differentiation and being able to clearly communicate and explain what that differentiation is and why it's relevant to someone. Um and then understanding you you know, your 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 niche in the market and the mm. opportunity um allows you to sort of focus your your brand building efforts in a really um Constructive and uh, you know, a, as economical fashion as possible. Yeah,
1: I- innovation in the in the wine category in, in recent years. So, other than obviously the sort of um, niche varietals and and the likes, what are you sort of seeing that's he- helping? Oh, yeah, just helping the consumer or helping the wine businesses to to um yeah to, to prosper.
0: Um. I think the um, the the rise of some useful apps, um, you know, whether it be Wine Searcher um, or whether it be Vivino, which is a sort of more consumer-fed review app. I think those are sort of quite interesting. Technology innovations that the industry. So what do is. they do? You- well, I think it helps people sort of navigate that incredibly crowded field and find maybe if they've you know a, a, an app like Wine Searcher tells you where you can get the wine. So if you've drunk it at a restaurant, which is a reasonably okay. um, a reasonably common issue that brands have and and then consumers have is you know con- wines listed in restaurants often aren't as widely available um, at retail as, as you, you might want. So if you drink a wine in a restaurant... So if, if we had had this Lander, um Chardonnay 2014 at uh, Chianti Classico restaurant in uh, Hutt Street, if we had had it there and they said, great, well, that was lovely, I want to go and buy half a dozen bottles... You could go to, you know, the big box wine merchant. They won't have it. Mm. Um, if you go on to wine Searcher, it will tell you everywhere it's listed yeah, and at okay. what price. Yeah. And, you know, if you're an international visitor and you're back in the UK and you sort of think, right, well, I want to find some of that yeah, okay. It will tell you where in the UK it's sold and how yeah, much okay. it. sold. Uh, so that, that sort of, you know, provides customers with that really useful uh, insight mm. um, I, I think the, the the other sort of uh, the, the other app I mentioned the Vivino which uh, you know allows consumers to sort of put online reviews of wines they've drunk and uh, enjoyed is is again quite a useful thing I think sort of peer review um, you know it's, it has its issues and it has you know it's not perfect but then no reviewing system is mm. and you know it's Bit like TripAdvisor, you read the top line and you read some of the yeah. the reviews and form your own opinion and then decide whether you want to buy a product so mm. um, but i I think we're you know there's there's a lot of innovation yet to be adopted in the the wine industry it's it's there it's available to us it's not used in all markets so you know we talked about screw caps earlier um, I think for many wines. Um, they need not be in a glass bottle. The, the carbon footprint of uh, a, a glass bottle is pretty much unforgivable for a wine which is going to be packed on the first of the month and by the end of that month it's probably been through retail, been through my fridge, and I've drunk it and it goes in the recycling mm-hmm. bin. Um a Tetra pack, um, cardboard laminate pack is far more convenient. It's lighter, it's less carbon impact. Mm. Um, and you know, you can drop them and they don't smash. You know, I'm sure if you came up with the glass bottle today and I came to you and said, Jason, I've got this fantastic innovation. Um, it's going to transform wine. You sort of look and say, it's pretty heavy, Phil. It's pretty... Mm. Oh, I dropped it. it smashed. How, how are you going to... Oh, well, we'll change all the distribution systems to accommodate this fragile thing, Jason. Don't worry about it. It's a nightmare. So I think we've got... Uh, you know, people are doing wine very successfully in cans now. Yeah. Okay. Um, Whereabouts in? Well, uh, all all around the suitable, world. All, all, all yeah. yeah the there's some there's some Australian technology which is sort of uh, you know at the forefront of of uh, the the canning process to to keep the wine fresh for a protracted period. So even in a small sort of single serve can, okay. and those those sort of um, containers are great for environments where glass isn't appropriate. So sporting venues, mm-hmm. um, concerts so on, Um, festivals, you know, fantastic, Um, lightweight, easy to recycle. Um, So there's there's innovations like that which are beginning to get cut through in niches and I think have got room to sort of grow.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, And is that about changing that perception of going, wine comes in a bottle... So that's a, it's a similar yeah. perception about getting rid of a cork. Yeah, it, it is. It,
0: it, it is. And, you know, if you look in a market like um, Sweden, probably 50% of the wine on the shelf of System Blargett stores is either in bag-in-box, three-litre, or it's in one-litre hmm. Tetra packs. And that's not because the wine is poor quality. It's that that is the most convenient and most sensible way to buy the wine it has lower carbon impact and so on um but the the swedes more than happy to buy central otago pinot noir from new zealand in a bag in box and um you know i I would i would love that opportunity myself i think it's a great great concept um so you know different markets but it, it will Do you think that would
1: reduce the price if you if you had it so? No,
0: it's not a question of reducing the price, Jason. It's it's presenting it in a way that is sort of socially, morally acceptable, Mm. um, and and is convenient for the customer. So, yeah, yeah, you probably are saving a bit on the price in terms of
1: distribution and transport because it's not. Oh, oh,
0: yeah, massively so, massively so. Um, You know, I I I think I've got this right, um, but. Um, a million tetra pack units um, go on, I think, one semi trailer because um, they come on a web on big rolls. Um, a million empty glass bottles takes up twenty six semi trailers, so mm. you've got a, an extra twenty five road, uh, you know, haulage. Events yeah, and and the the carbon impact on that is obviously massive, and there's a there's a financial cost too. So, um, you know, the, the, there's there's issues like that um, where you know we can we can perhaps save money um, through the value chain and then invest it into brand building, which yeah, is something okay. that the wine industry you know could could you know well. Uh, and that could help to shift more.
1: that thinking on that product to say, Absol- wine doesn't need to be in a bottle; it can be in this. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Is, is that? I'm assuming this is probably more for at-home consumption, or maybe at venue if you buy it by the glass. I don't. I think we're a long way away from having. Here's your cask; you put on the table. I, or something I, the,
0: I think so. Yeah, I think at we a are. Restaurant. I think we are. Um, but the but quality. What you're
1: saying is the quality could be still of a high, yeah, high standard in a in, in, in a. In a a tetra oh pack yeah, and, yeah
0: yeah 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 absolutely and i think um there, there was a there was a, a tetra pack brand uh in in the domestic market a few years ago um called one planet and and that did get some take up in restaurants and um the restaurants were provided with um branded decanters ah okay gotcha so the the wine was just so you're, not, you're not poured into a little it. plastic. No, olive. no, yeah. it, no. You're not. The wine was poured into the yeah, okay. um, to the branded decanter, and the restaurants were very happy with that. So mm-hmm. um, th- there are there are ways of of overcoming these problems, and it's it's going to take a few pioneers, a few false starts, but I, I think we'll yeah. we'll we'll get there ultimately because you know we can't afford to keep using yeah wasteful product.
1: Yeah, I, I went to a uh, um, a small bar um, on the side streets of Adelaide that looked like a little Spanish bar and it had great big. What did, what did you say? Um, yeah, I sort of wine sort of um, vats in vats, the corner yeah. that, that that I'm assuming they just kind of pour the wine in the back somehow. I'm assuming they're
0: not. Um, no, well, um, this there's, there's actually some really sophisticated technology around that on trade. Um, there's a, in in London. There's a couple of really smart restaurants that have exclusively um, keg wine. So the wines in um, some, I think they're twenty liter okay. um, containers um, that have have quite a um, sophisticated gas management. Um, uh, technology around them that preserves the wine but also f- pushes the wine through the dispense system so it's sort of a bit like a a beer dispense system but it's it's wine mm-hmm. um, and you know those are very sort of hip and trendy restaurants you yeah, okay you know if you've not got a beard don't uh, you know don't <laughs> go in um, so you know th- that is coming to the on trade. Two, and and I, th- I think it's a you know it's a, it's a great way of preserving wine and offering a diverse yeah. diverse range. Yeah, it's good.
1: Um, for a number of years, there were wine clubs, or you can you can buy it. It obviously went online. Um, what, what what are your thinking about how that sort of changed, and like the likes of Vino Mofo popping onto the scene in the last sort of ten years or so? Is that sort of had a big impact is that sort of moving in the right direction
0: um yeah i i and a, a business like uh, vinamofo is a, a phenomenal success story um and i think they've they've been very adroit in understanding the market um i i think uh, they they've had their sort of false start yeah. um had the uh, the 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 wisdom to sort of rebase and uh, try something different when when one thing didn't work, um, they set up under one sort of supply demand situation. Mm. Um, they engaged really brilliantly with uh, their demographic. They knew who their customer mm. was. That's right. And they they spoke to them in in the language and in the tone that is relevant to that consumer understood what motivated them in terms of that that price quality image Mm -hmm. uh, and and so forth Um, the the supply and demand situation has has turned around um rather significantly since they started that business so they're their business approach has um, has has evolved with that changing supply and uh, I, I think they're a, they're a great model I mean they, they work very well in Australia I think they've expanded uh, judiciously internationally um, to see whether they get the same sort of level of response mm. and uh, I, I think they uh, they've they've done a great job and I you know business I to respect enormously.
1: Mm. That's sort of obviously starting in Australia. I think they're in New Zealand. Yeah. No, they're in Singapore. My understanding yeah. is, is they're in the US as, as well. And mm. that building a community and demystifying wine and taking away the snobbery and being very youth-focused, I think it's, they, they've done a really... And, and even just for making it, the, the, the choice anxiety we talked about before of walking into a wine shop and mm. going, well, we've got these wines, you'll know they'll be um, of a high-quality... Um, sort of Andre talking before uh, Andre sort of the one of the joint CEOs of uh, of vino uh, just talking about that that idea of not having they were very sort of protective about not having low level wine to start with of having premium wine that mm. they they helped to almost curate um, the, the wine and
0: and have it so at a reasonable reasonable price so that's, that's quite uh, yeah yeah I think they've they've done that uh, that sort of job that uh, I've spoke about earlier of they've engaged. They've not sought to sort of educate directly. I think that, you know, their customers have learned, but I think it's been much more sort of through sort of osmosis rather than, you know, being, being force fed education. So they've created the engagement. The engagement has created the interest. The interest has created the, the repurchase and the, the, um, Continued engagement, so I think yeah, it's, a, interesting, it's a so great, great model. Yeah.
1: and so the apps you talked about, in Vino Mofo, is it about igniting that passion in in, in wine, uh, in, yeah. in, in that topic? So, having so sort of not forcing it upon them, but igniting that passion, not like the passion you had when you first yeah. started working in a uh, the, the restaurant that you, had, you, you found in wine and, and the, the passion you had for. Birds as a as a young boy mm. and reading that book mm. there. So if we we come back at sort of towards the end about um, we kind of started off as you you as a young boy. What, what what are your sort of think? What's your thinking moving forward about uh, most of these interviews? We finish off saying, well, what are your suggestions for young people moving forward? And that could be kids, or it could be people in their twenty somethings, or it could be just does anyone really about what what are the the key things to having a successful life, a successful career? A big question, but looking for a simple answer.
0: Um. Oh yeah, it is. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh learn learn to speak Mandarin. Yeah. Okay. Um would be tip number one. Um but I, I think, you know, coming coming back to my personal experience, you know, I've never had that Monday morning feeling. I've got up every Monday morning and think, Oh, I can go to work. <laughs> And I, think I get to if, drink all day. I, 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 Jason, I do not get to drink all day. I, I some days I spend tasting all day, and uh, you know, believe me, that is hard work. Um though it may not sound like it. Yeah, I, I do get to drink some, some extraordinary wines. I'm very, very privileged. Um But you know I think yeah, you wanna you wanna find that thing that you enjoy mm. and then somehow corral a career out of it because mm. if you uh, if you enjoy it you're gonna have a great time yeah.
1: and digging deep on it so you, you went sort of deep on took that book about wine when you're working in the restaurant you went yeah. right i'm gonna just i'm gonna memorize this like, yeah. like a lot of young boys yeah. when they sort of have like or, or young boys and girls sort of about they have that thing and they they memorize whatever like when yeah. they're young it's just going it's just taking that whatever that thing is and
0: and digging deep. Yeah. Maintaining that. I, I, I would, the, the other thing, I think, yeah, learn Mandarin, find your passion, but also, um, you know, really maintain that curiosity. Never stop asking those impertinent questions because mm. it may, you know, irritate a few people, but uh, it will probably get you a long way in the end. Yeah. In, in just a,
1: this on the Mandarin, you you talked before in one of our earlier conversations about uh, a number of wineries, winery cellar doors are starting to have people, or the young the, um, people the, the, the cellar door speaking Mandarin, and when you sort of say Mandarin, like because it's becoming such a huge I, language, or it's such a big target I, audience, I, or I,
0: I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're, I am blessed. You you are blessed by an accident of uh, birth of speaking English Um, but I think whilst English is uh, uh, you know the probably the global language at the moment I think if you can complement that with Mandarin then you know you've probably got the sweet that matters Mm -hmm. going forward. Yeah okay just uh, what's
1: what's your favourite region to visit from a cellar door experience or just the whole experience of the region so I don't think it could be a be locally, or it could be overseas. What's what's a region of sort of getting that cellar door, that wine region experience Ooh. done really
0: well? That is a that is a good question. Um, I think if, if I can sort of start internationally, um, the Douro Valley in Portugal mm. is just. The most beautifully scenic region in the world, and they make one of the world's great fortified wines in uh, in in Port. So uh, you know that that would be one of my um, top picks. And um, domestically, uh, I uh, you know we are spoiled here, you know, because, you know, an hour and a bit north, you've got the Barossa, an hour and a bit further north, you've got Clare. 20 minutes east, you've got the Adelaide Hills. You know, the Adelaide Hills, you know, is scenically incredibly beautiful. You've got some great restaurants there. You've got some great wineries with tremendous cellar doors, different styles, different scales. Um, But... The kind of varieties that really appeal to me, so you know great Chardonnay, great Pinot Noir, so you know uh forgive the parochialism, but I would you know go with the Adelaide hills yeah
1: and, and a a
0: particular cellar door that you
1: think that they've just they're doing amazing things
0: ah. Uh, now, now you're asking me to alienate <laughs> 98 <laughs> 8% of the no, 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 uh, okay. of the Adelaide let's, Hills, Jason, and that's, I'm on a hiding to nothing. Okay. There,
1: that, that's fine. Well, let's, just, let's let's not do that. Let's say they're all many good. options all are in available. Ways, so yeah. that's all right. Good. Yeah, feels like a tourism South Australia ad. It it does a bit. (laughs) Margaret River is not a bad place to visit either. Yeah, good. Uh, How can people find you on social media or or a website or or whatever?
0: Um, I'm on um, the the web. If you Google Philip Reedman M W, you will uh, you will find me on Twitter. I'm Twitter's my uh, principal uh, uh, social media, and I am Philip. Reedman uh, on on social media so on Twitter so um, one L in Philip um, two E's in Reedman yeah and you you
1: obviously consult to different wine wine companies uh, yeah you do education as well you sort of travel around doing education I understand you do education locally but also you go off to China so uh, yeah I, so
0: um, do anything I do coming
1: up in terms of. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm going over to uh, China in October um, to uh, to do some uh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust education in um, in Beijing and uh, hopefully a couple of other cities, and also get to Ningxia where they making uh, great quality Chinese wine. Um, so that's going to be uh, exciting to uh, to get there. Um, I've just recently passed the exam to become a Barossa Wine School educator. So I'm now uh, qualified to, uh, to teach uh, the Barossa Wine School uh, syllabus. So that's exciting uh, development. And uh, that's going to be um, teaching that um, both uh, within Australia um, and uh, overseas. So um, we're sort of finalising some details on that now.
1: Yeah. and and if somebody other than coming to one of your courses um, what's a good way to just start learning a little bit more about wine what's a what's a good book to grab or a good website to go to
0: ooh right that's put me on something. that has put me on the spot um, do you web, website um, a really good website is um, from um, a UK merchant called Berry Brothers and Rudd. Yeah. Um, They're a very, very long-established um, London wine merchant, um, supplier to the royal household. But they have got the most amazing website with, packed full of uh, incredible information from, uh, you know, great experts in, in each of the, the regions that you're discussing or reading about. So th- that is sort of my sort of go-to because um, it's really solid, valid information. Um, there's in, in terms of books, um, there's a, a, an English wine writer called Oz Clark who... Um, is a great communicator um, and a great authority on wine, but um, in in a very light way. So anything written by Oz um, is is worth reading. Um, he does an annual wine guide. Um, ooh, what else? Oh, oh I wish you'd give me advance no, nice notice. Right. Out. Well, you, um, we'll,
1: we'll put something on the website. So yeah, that's right, cool, yeah, that's
0: good. yeah. I'll give you my. Yeah, uh, I'll give you my top 10 uh, wine books of all time all right.
1: good on you. that's good all right thanks phil all right. pleasure thank all right. you cheers cheers i'll do a proper cheese to finish <laughs> thank you hey jason here to say goodbye until next time please subscribe to real people via itunes your favorite podcast platform while you are there please leave a review If you're interested in receiving our every Friday, same time emails on everything human-centered, customer focus, entrepreneurialism, and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Square Holes team, and special guests who have included Professor Barry Bergen, Christy Anthony, and Suet Anantula, please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list. You can also follow me, Jason Dunstone, on Twitter or your favorite social media. Thank you for listening. Uru.